But I am Brian Hunt, and I'm glad to be here today with y'all. How you doing, Parkview? Good, 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 good. Well, I am Brian, and I am the campus pastor at Parkview Lockport. Um, if you are new here or if you uh, have forgotten, we are what's called a multi-site church. One church, multiple locations. You are at one location. Right now, at the exact same time, Lockport is having service over there. And y'all, believe it or not, it's going to be three years in September since that's been open. It's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Not only in three years have we got a Sonic over there, that's big news, but we also, you know, people are getting baptized and things are going really good and the people over there are fantastic. So we are just uh, real blessed um, to have your prayer support. If you know people that need a church over there, we, we do it every week, so we'd love to have them. So uh, bring them on over. Um, but I'm so glad to be able to be here to start our God Is series today. And, and I know that people out there, you, we, I've talked to some of you, you've had this, this experience with God. What, what you know about God growing up was usually kind of given to you by your parents or your grandparents or maybe a priest. Uh, and you rarely question that, you know. But maybe from time to time, you might ask mom or grandma from time to time, the, uh, why do we do this? Or, or why, get, why did God do that? And, and honestly, most of the time, they would just say, well, they didn't know. They would say, well, that, that's just how it's always been. Or um, that's how we always do it. So just be quiet and eat the thing I made you. You know, you don't, you don't mess with grandma when it's like lunchtime, you know. But from time to time, from time to time, those questions would bubble back up. The question of, who, who is God? I mean, who is he really? You know, I know I'm supposed to pray to him. I know that he created everything. I know that all he wants is my money, you know. But, but, but like, like who, is, who is God? I heard it said once that, that what you believe about God will ultimately shape how you view yourself and how you live your life. I'll, I'll say it again. What you believe about God will ultimately shape how you view yourself and how you live your life. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Because if we think about it, what we think that God did or will be doing or is currently doing will drastically shape how we live our lives. And even if we say there is no God, I don't believe in God, we've ultimately made a decision about God and will live our lives that way based upon that decision. Now, what I'm asking for us to do is over the next five weeks, we have to know that we're not going to be able to answer all that what God is. But what I'm asking us to do is to maybe stop from saying that's what it's always been. And maybe give him the chance, give God, the creator of all things, the decency to say this is the truth of who I am and not who I think I think he is, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, true and true. I'm a baseball freak. I love it, you know? And, and I love, I grew up watching, well, not really grew up because they're older than me, um, the big red machine in Cincinnati. I love them, and I love Johnny Bench. Anybody? Anybody? All seven of you. All right. That's good. You know, you know, Johnny Bench was my boy. I mean, he's number five. I used to get his jersey. I got his souvenirs. I got his batting gloves. I bought the spray paint that he, you know, recommended. I mean, everything, you know. Uh, and just to prove it, not like I'm some schmo. This is, this is me. That's me. Yeah? Come on. All together. Aww. That's my real hair, too. Woo! Yeah. Number five, I loved him, I loved him. But here's the thing, as I started to go up in baseball and started to play myself and play a little bit, I got to meet people that got to meet him. And it was shocking when they started telling me stories about him because it was horrifying because he was a grade A jerk apparently, you know, like that was not a good thing. And so at some point as they're telling me story after story, I just put my hands on my head, I'm like, just stop it, you are ruining my childhood right now, you know. I couldn't handle the facts about Johnny. And again, five weeks, we're not going to be able to sum up all that God is. 
And this series isn't designed necessarily to do that. But it's, it's there to show us some facts about him, to shed some light on who we think that he is, and, and, and hopefully give you an idea of maybe who the true God of the Bible is. And so, today we kick off the series with, with God is Sovereign. And most of you are looking at me like my dog does when I whistle at him. Like, huh? You know? You know, like, what is it? You know, most of us, without the help of a computer, wouldn't even be able to spell sovereignty, let alone be able to define it. So, let me help you. Sovereignty is defined as this. Being above all others in character, importance, excellent. It's having the highest supreme rank, power, or authority. Which is odd, because that's exactly how my wife and daughter are in my home. They are, they are sovereign, yes. Um, but, but Norman Geisler says it this way. He says, A God who is before all things, beyond all things, creates all things, upholds all things, knows all things, and can do all things, is also in control of all things. This complete control is called sovereignty. <laughs> Chew on that, huh? Chew on that a little bit, right? Because in there is there's so many definitions. There's so many questions that come up in that definition, isn't there? For instance, you know, if you are in control of all things, how come the, Japan, the people in Japan died because of that tsunami? If you are um, uh, in control of all things and can do all things, then why can't I have a child? If you are all-powerful, then why can't I get a job? I mean, isn't it fair that if God is in control of all things, that he should be able to handle my questions and, and probably give me an answer for some of those as well, too? See, I believe the sovereignty of God is so important to our faith, so important to our relationship with God, that we have to wrestle with it a little bit. We have to grapple with it a little bit. But we also need to be very real and honest with ourselves. There, there will still be questions that will remain. There will be things that seem unfinished, and, and honestly, it, it has to. Because as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul tells us that for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You guys remember those dot pictures you'd see in the mall, you know? Like, you know, those things with the dots, you know, if you, like, stare at it long enough, like, like a dolphin would come out and, like, eat your face off, you know? Like, if you had to, you had to stare for a while, right? Well, this verse is basically saying that. It, it's saying that we can stare into the dot picture of life all we want, but it, we aren't, aren't going to get the whole picture this side of eternity. We just won't. Because when it comes to God, questions will still persist. Answers will seem to slip through our fingers. And even the things that we feel like we know pretty well, they'll be challenged by the world around us time and time again. But in the face of all that uncertainty, what God is asking us to do, what He is begging for us to do is really search His Scripture to find out who He really is and not just dismiss it to that's how it's always been or that's what I've always thought. In the book of Job, we meet someone that can relate to our questions. And in fact, I want you, if you've got a Bible on the way in, if you brought your Bible with you, or if you have an app on your phone, would you turn to the book of Job with me? If you have the black Bibles that you've got on the way in, 788 is the page number. If you have the skinny Bibles, that's page 352. And as you do that, I want to give you an opportunity to find out a little bit about Job. Because in the first five verses of this book, we learn a ton about the guy. We learn that he is blameless, that he is upright, that he is God-fearing. And at one point it says that he's the greatest man of all the people in the East. We also know the dude was rich. Woo, boy, was rich. He had, he had land. He had servants. He had, he had a great marriage. He had ten kids, seven boys, three girls. Every week they would get together at one of their houses and have these parties together, like Donald Trump style, but with better hair. I mean, they got after it a little bit, you know? And it's not a bad resume, it really isn't a bad resume. But what I do, and I don't know about you, is sometimes I take that for granted. I take for granted the fact that he didn't have all that stuff happen overnight. 
In fact, if we were to approach it the logical way, even if he and his wife were having, you know, if they were having kids rapid fire, they're like bunnies. It would have taken like eight years for them to have at least a family that big, which meant that they were married at least that long. And in addition to that, to gain a, a, a fleet of cattle and all of that wealth and to get all of that that we read about, it would have taken a long, long time. It doesn't happen at the local 4-H county fair. It takes a while for that to happen. But in addition to that, it also means that for him to get to the place where he's called the greatest man in all of the East, it would have taken some time too. It would have taken time walking with God and trusting God to make him the man that we read about in these scriptures. You see, growing into your faith and embracing the sovereignty of God takes time, just like anything else. It's like when you see those professional athletes, you know, you watch professional athletes, and, and you say to yourself, what? I could do that. I could do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, right, right. It's so, although you got, like, cut from JV hockey or something, you know, you, like, go out to play it against sports. You get your, your, your ghetto skates, and you get all, you know, everything. You get the jersey. You know, you join a league. I mean, you, you get it all, you know. And then you go out there, and you try to do what they do, and then you almost die, and you almost kill yourself, right? Because you forget that it takes thousands of hours for them to be able to do that. You don't realize that. Because Job didn't jump into the big leagues of faith. It took him a while. He didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest man in all the East. No. In fact, we need to give ourselves time to grow as well, too. We have to give ourselves time to grow. You don't have to be Job overnight. You know, would you say that with me? I don't have to be Job overnight. Well, that was depressing. Okay, let's try that again. All right? All right. I don't have to be Job overnight. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good? Because here's the thing. I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves as Christians, so much pressure on ourselves. Just because we've decided to start following God doesn't mean that we go from bum to Bible scholar overnight. What God wants is he wants us to start to know Jesus, to start to follow him, to start to learn about him, to read about him in Scripture, and to start to trust him with our lives even no matter what happens to us, no matter good or bad. The other stuff will come. The other stuff will come as we develop in our faith. But Jesus wants most. He wants our faith. He wants us to be there. Because, listen, at some time or another in our life, life will throw us a curveball, won't it? In in that time that we've developed in our relationship with God, that time that we've nurtured with Him is ultimately going to be put to the test. And our boy Job, he can relate to that. So let's pick it up. In in verse 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. One day. I read that verse over and over and over, and it haunted me. One day. We all have them in our lifetime. You see, one day are life-changing moments that we don't see coming. I'm not immune to those. My friends at Lockport can attest to that. My friends here can attest to that. You see, one days for me look like this, that my wife and I had this, this life spreadsheet that things just happened in the order that we wanted to, you know? We, some of us have that. Well, one day I come home from work and my wife says the spreadsheet's broken because um, we're not able to have kids the natural way. And so over the course of months and months of treating my wife like a pincushion, we were able to have a child and be, get pregnant um, via the miracle of science. And after a very rough pregnancy, we get to the point where we're able to have this little baby girl. 
and she's born, and our one day happens again. And they take her from us, and they take her into the NICU. For 14 days, my daughter was in intensive care, and they put a tube down her throat, and we had to sit by a hospital bed watching our daughter fight for life. I know about one days. See, it happens like this, doesn't it? That life seems to be going great, and then one day the doctor says you need to sit down to hear the news. Our kids are happy and healthy, and then one day you find yourself at a hospital bed because an accident happened. Or you're providing for your family, and then one day your boss comes in and says there's budget cuts. One days are hard to swallow. One days don't usually make sense. But one days are where the sovereignty of God begins and where He faces our toughest questions also. You and I don't get to see the one days in our life. We don't get to. Only God knows through His sovereign will when they come and why they're allowed. And as we read in this scripture, Job wasn't invited into this one day either. This meeting between Satan, the angels, and God. He wasn't given an invite to that. And we're not given an invite to the blueprint of our life either, are we? So this meeting happens. We, we find out that, that God and Satan are having this, this exchange. And it says, well, Satan says, of course Job believes in you. Of course Job loves you. I mean, look at all that you blessed him with. Look at this beautiful, beautiful family and all this wealth and this hedge of protection that you put around him. Who wouldn't worship you if you had all that stuff? It would be perfect, of course. But, 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 <laughs> you take all that away? You let me take all that away? He'll turn on you. He'll turn on you. You just give me one day and I guarantee you he'll sin against you. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. He says, when talking about this, he says, his, Satan's, point is very clear. Job is worshiping God because of what he gets out of it, not because the Lord is truly first in his life. And so, God allows it. God says, okay, do whatever you want to Job, but don't lay a finger on him. And so Satan does. He wastes no time. And in verse 12, it says that uh, the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And Job wakes up on his one day, and in less than 24 hours, he loses all of his wealth, he loses every servant that he has, and all ten of his kids are crushed to death when they are meeting in one of their homes, and it collapses on top of them. Their entire hedge of protection is now gone. But after hand-digging ten individual graves for his kids, and holding his wife close to him, and weeping with her, Job tears his clothes, he shaves his head, and he lays down on the ground. He does the unthinkable to you and I. He worships God. We read that in the message version, chapter 20, verse 21 says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. You see, Job decides to say through this, he says, through all of this loss, God, I came into this world naked and I'm going to leave the same way. So in between those two times, everything that you give me is a blessing. Everything that you give, I know came from you. And so if you decide to give or you decide to take away, I say, blessed be your name. Job says, I choose to worship you through the pain because I know, I know you are a good God. I don't know if I could do that. Somehow, somehow though, Job weathers the storm on his one day. But sometimes, when you think you're down, it just gets a little worse, doesn't it? Don't worry, Lucky. These new wheat thins crunch sticks have got such a mighty crunch, they'll surely get us saved. 
sometimes right you got this rock on your chest you know and then god like instead of taking the rock off your chest just like steals your wheat thins and then you see the dog ran away like you lost it all you know i mean job has to feel that way when round two comes chapter two verse one it says on another day (laughs) on another day the angels came to present themselves before the lord and satan also came with them to present himself before him and the lord said to satan where have you come from Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. All right, now now Satan's piling on a little bit here, right? You know, talk about taking a guy's wheat thins. All right, so we get back into the story. And so Satan and God, they have this exchange again. They have another powwow again. And here's what Satan says. He says, okay, I tried once. That didn't work, okay? But I was thinking about it, and I realized something, that he can get more stuff. He he can have more kids. I mean, all that stuff. Of course he's still going to blame you. Of course he's still going to love you and, 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 and never blame you. Of course. He can replace it all. But... But if you let me at him personally, I guarantee that his faith will crumble like the Cubs fans hope in June. Mm. Wait for it. Let it sink in. It's just low-hanging fruit. You have to go after it, right? And so, God allows it. He allows it again. He says, do whatever you want to Job. Just don't kill him. And so Satan does. Job chapter 2, verse 7, it says that, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat amongst the ashes. Now, if you take the time to analyze what just happened here, it's intense. I mean, he is, um, he's disfigured. He's losing weight. He suffers from depression and fear. He's, uh, he's got these inflamed, ulcerous, pus-oozing sores on his body that actually worms will start to make a home in. Yeah, the guy's a hot mess, basically. And, and not to mention that, but he now is relegated to the outside of the city, the city dump. He's part of the unclean. He, he's now not even able to be with his family anymore, his wife anymore. This man that used to be the who's who of business, family, and, and faith is now relegated to an outcast on the outside of the city. But Satan still wasn't done. In fact, I think that he saved his most evil of attacks for this point. It says, Job 2, 9 says, His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. The message version says it this way. He says, Still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. (laughs) But finally... Finally, somebody can relate to, right? You know, like Job's wife comes on. She's not going to be headlining any marriage series anytime soon. But, I mean, we can relate to her. We can relate to this, don't you think? I mean, why are you still praying? The cancer is not going away. Why, why do you think that God is even here? What do you think he's in this whole thing? Our house is still going into foreclosure. Why are you still praying that he's going to provide? He is not here. What's the point? Our marriage is in shambles. We still fight more than ever. Why do you think that God is in this? Why do you think he wants to fight this? Why do you think it's his plan? 
Because we all have those moments of question when we all question God. But sometimes it hurts when it comes to the ones closest to us, doesn't it? Our family, our friends. In fact, Job can relate to this. In the next 33 chapters, some of his friends come and pay him a visit. And so he has to get challenged and defend himself for that period of time. But Job, again, he fights the temptation to turn turn his back from God. Even when those closest to him tell him that he should. And again, he does the unthinkable. Job 2.10, it says, he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, I can tell you, and I'm so glad I can tell you, that my daughter just turned two on Mother's Day. In fact, here's a picture of my beach. Here she is. Where's my girl? There's my girl. It's my girl. So she turned two, and then obviously as parents, we start to think about uh, the past two years, and you think of all the fun stuff. You know, you got the poops and the peas and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and we're potty trading now. So literally, I have new stories coming out the wazoo. It's fantastic. It's awesome. But I, the, the story that stuck with me and just changed me was the birth story, because that'll, whoo, that'll change you, mm, you know, like all of that, and the, mm, you know, there's a lot that changes you, you know what I mean? You know, so, so, um, so I was, I was thinking back to that, you know, this, you know, and, and I remember it was May 8th and it just happened to be up at uh, Christ hospital visiting somebody from our church that, that needed a visit. And so I was driving back down early in the morning. My wife calls me and says, uh, yeah, y'all going to, you know, need me at, meet me at the OB because I think I'm having contractions. Right. So I'm thinking we got a month, we got some time, you know? So I drive over the OB and sure enough, we get in that office and he says, yeah, y'all are having a baby today, so you need to go to Christ Hospital, where I was just at. So I went back to the same hospital I was just at. And we walk in, and we get all set up, and they say, yes, uh, Mrs. Hunt, you are seven centimeters dilated. And that, at that moment, I realized that my wife was probably an X-Men, because the faces on there it was like, whoo, you know? And so they, like, bring her in, you know, and they get her in the thing, and like an hour later, we're pushing. You know, we're, we're ready to go. And so, at that time, you know, when it's game time, you, ha- you have the doctor that you're paying a lot of money. Yeah, right? You're paying a lot of money. He comes in like he just got off the 16th hole, you know, just like ready to go. Like put his clubs down, you know, right there, the kickstand. And he, he walks in. Now, listen, I kid you not. Kid you not, this is how it went, all right? So he comes in, you know, Tiger Woods. He came in, you know, and he comes in and he does this. I kid you not. Looks, he go, and then my wife, you know, nope, not yet. <clears throat> Just like, and he goes and sits down. He sits down and just starts like kicking back, you know, telling me about his golf game and everything, you know. And I'm like, I'm like holding the foot like, huh? Come on, you know. So, you know, so he's sitting down, you know, sitting down, sitting down. And then he's like, okay, okay. And he gets, and he comes back. Could you not? Nope, not ready. Yeah. And so he sits back down again and again. And by this time, he has figured out that I sing and I've got a CD and all this stuff. So he decides to just start talking to me about that. He's like, what's, you know, tell me about this, you know, this, this CD you have and everything. You know, what's that light and stuff? And, and, uh, and I said, and in my brain, I'm thinking, buddy, I will do a private concert for you in your office. If you get that out of her and make her stop doing that, you know, like, like, come on, you know, like, so, so I'm only, you know, he sits there and then finally, you know, he's like, all right. And then he gets up and he's, and he, and he said, okay. And then he's like, yep, it's time. And then like. Like stuff starts going, you know, and like rockets are going off, and all of a sudden, and there's the baby, you know, and you're like, awesome. But but for me, I'm expecting when he's coming in for like like rockets to launch, and it'd be like NASA, like him directing things, you know, like oh, like do something, you know what I mean? Like do something. He just, you know, he's like, 
But guys, listen to me, though. Listen to me, listen to me. <clears throat> Every single one of us, me included, we think that that doctor is what God does. We all think that. We all think that somehow that he is, uh, we're, we're floundering around the sea called life, and he's on the deck of a, a cruise ship somewhere having a mojito. Like he just doesn't know, you know, it, that he doesn't know. And listen, guys, the reality is, is that God's not asleep. He's not sitting around somewhere. The deal is that he knows the plan better. He knows the timing better. He's sovereign. Because, listen, let's face it, if, if mothers had the option of when pregnancy was over, it would last like four months, you know? you know? Or if they had like an eject button for babies, you know? Like, I'm telling you what, if they did, like, you know, the first kick to a bladder in a public place, you know, like, bam, that baby's gone, you know? You're not messing around, right? And the moms are laughing, the guys are like, what's up, man? You know, ask them, you know? But that's not God's design either. It's just not. It's not. It's just not part of the plan. And so much of what we see in our life, is, it just doesn't make sense to us because we can't understand it. But it, it doesn't mean that God isn't aware. It doesn't mean that he's somehow sitting down on the job somewhere. Because I come back to where we began in 1 Corinthians. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Because embracing the sovereignty of God means that we won't get to see the whole picture. We just won't. At best we get a foggy mirror version of it. But that also includes the blessings, too. You know, there is such things as one days that are blessings and are good. In fact, Job is blessed by God. He restores his wealth and he restores his health and he restores his status. And he gives him ten more kids, seven boys and three girls. Job didn't see that coming either. But God blessed him anyway. But let's be honest. I know plenty of people that doesn't shake out that way for you. I know lots of people with empty rooms and empty pockets that God didn't bless you that way. But God is still good. God is still sovereign. You see, one day this cloudy mirror will be revealed and we will know why. We will know why. But for now we must choose. We must choose to worship. We must worship through the storms of our life and look at all that He gives us as a blessing. Now that doesn't mean that we won't have questions. That doesn't mean that there won't be tough things that we need to throw at God and that He's not big enough to tackle them. In fact, our upstanding Job, he even had some questions for God. As we get to chapter 31, here's what he says to God. He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. Assign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely, surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. Even our boy Job. He's got his questions. And what he wants more than anything, just give me a face-to-face. God, we can work this whole thing out. You and me, we'll figure it out. Because somehow you got a bad memo or something. We've got to figure this out. And so finally God just gets tired of this whole thing and his, all these ramblings. And he steps up to the mic. Job 38, starting in verse 1, he says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Then you'll appreciate this. What God just said, brace yourself like a man. He just said, put your cup on. It's going to get a little rough, you know? And he does. He takes into it. Verse 4, he says, listen very closely. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. 
Verse 8 says, Who shut up the seas behind the door when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther, here's where your proud wave halts. Job 38.22 says, Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, to the place where the east winds are scattered over all the earth? And on and on and on he goes for two more chapters. You see, God decides to put an end to this whole debate. And he begins to illustrate to them all that happens that they don't know about. And as he speaks, he gives Job and he gives you and I a glimpse at his power, a glimpse at his majesty, a glimpse at his sovereignty. Friends, when we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, we are ultimately wrestling with this question. How big is my God? Is my God a big God that does big things? The kind of God that even if I don't understand everything that happens, I will uh, praise His name because I know that He has good for me and He has a bigger perspective on my life. Or will I, as Mark Batterson says so well, make my God, make our God only as big as our biggest problem? Do we make our God only as big as our biggest problem? Now, most of us would just chalk this up very quickly and say, well, of course I have a big God. Of course I believe that he created everything and that the universe was created by him. And he knows every hair on my head and that he wants my team to win the big game. Right? I believe in a big God. But what happens when your one day hits? Does the God who created the oceans somehow not have enough power to help you overcome that addiction? Does the God that knows every hair on your head somehow be out of touch and not be able to help you with your marital problems? Listen very closely. Embracing the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that we're weak. In fact, it's the beginning of our strength. It is the beginning, the start of the journey that God had, had for us all along. It is us voluntarily tapping in to the creator of the universe and letting him direct and run our lives. You see, we need more than anything to believe in a big God that stays big no matter what gets thrown our way. It means that if things don't make sense, we don't jump ship on him. That means that if good things happen, it isn't because we're awesome. It's because he is awesome. It means that we allow him to be God and we trust the fact that we are not. Because honestly, listen, honestly, if we're serious with ourselves, if we don't believe in an all-powerful, sovereign God, what are we doing? What are we doing? Be glad we don't have the answers. Be glad there's things that only God can do the heavy lifting on. Worship a God that is big enough to handle our questions, but gracious enough to know that we can't handle all the reasons things happen. Because we have a great and a powerful and a loving God that wants good for us. But in order for us to reach the heights that he has made out for us, we must be willing. We must be willing to desire for all. We can't have all the answers. We just can't. We have to trust the fact that we have a great, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God. We forget about another angle of His sovereignty each and every week. It's, uh, it's the cross. It's Jesus. It's communion. You see, we forget that God being sovereign, knowing all, all-powerful, He knew that He had to send His Son Jesus into this world to be killed as an innocent man for the sins of all of us. He knew that. God loved us enough to give His very best, the very best of His sovereign love for us. 
But I'll tell you this. Our biggest fear in this life is that we will somehow have to give up being sovereign over our own life. The question of, what if I'm not in control? It grips us with fear. It grips us with doubt. But the greatest illusion in our life is that we're actually in control of all the things that we think we're in control of. The greatest conclusion that we can ever come to is to become as out of control as possible as we trust and learn to trust in the sovereignty of God more and more every single day. And we need to look no further than the cross to trust that He's got good intentions for us, that He's got good in mind for us, that if He would send His one and only Son to die for us, a painful death on a Roman cross, knowing that that would happen, that's a God that I can believe and trust and give my hope and everything in. But we've got to be willing to let go of control. Henry Nowen says it best. He says, Dear God, I'm so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and to discover that I am not what I own, but what you want to give me. And what you want to give me is love, unconditional, everlasting love. That's God. That's our sovereign, wonderful God. And so when we come to communion, this is your time to reflect on how big your God is. To consider the storms in your life and then to look at how big you think your God is. Can He overcome that? And the answer is yes. He can be there with you every step of the way if you allow Him. If you allow Jesus to work through you in this real, passionate, tangible way, God will be there. We may not be able to see the dolphin coming at us. But we can trust the fact that God's plan is perfect. And if it doesn't make sense, it makes sense to Him. He's not sitting down on the job. He knows you and He loves you. And He demonstrates that through this communion we're about to take. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, thank You for being a gracious and awesome God. Thank You for being above all things, that You control all things, that You are a great God. Lord, we look to You now at communion. And we have to ask the question of why. Why in the world would you do this for us? Why would you love us that much? Why would you not just turn your back on all the sin and nastiness that this world has done? Why would you turn and face it head on and send your best into it? And the answer is that you love us. That you love us so much that you would send your only son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us. So that we can relate to him and know him and follow him. And not that he's trying to take away all of our fun, but he's trying to give us the life you meant for us all along. Lord, let us cling to that in this communion as we remember the sacrifice you made for us. Let us believe that you're a big God that does big things, that you are sovereign and love us. It's in your beautiful and holy name that we pray. Amen. Man, when we read that scripture from, from God talking to Job, the, the, the tendency is to think of it as dad kind of knocking you back into place. Like, you listen here, boy. But listen. For the believer in Jesus, it should make us say, that's our God. That, that, that's our God. That's our God that is alive. That's our God that's in control. That's our God that knows everything. That's our God that's not asleep. That's our God that fills us up with love each and every day. That's our God that saves us. That's our God that knows about the snow and the hail and everything in between. That is our God. And so that should fire us up today. And so instead of leaving here with your head down, I want you to leave with your head up. I want you to worship out of here. And so we are going to worship in a second. We're going to sing our God. But here's the thing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you are beat down. If you are beat down and you need to yell at God, you yell at God. 
I don't care if you feel like everything's going good, then you worship God. You put your hands in the air. You do what you got to do. But if you just need to unclench your fists and look to the heavens and just sing this song, then you do it. Because listen to me, our God is there with you. Our God loves you. Our God cares for you. Our God is above all things, through all things, and does all things. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And He is with you every step of the way. That's our God. And so when we leave here today, you give Him everything that you have. We will sing to our sovereign God. Mighty God and Father, you are God. You are our sovereign God. Lord God, we give you the glory. And when we leave here, we're changed. We leave here, we're different. Lord God, we live to love you. Thank you for loving us first. We leave here changed people. Give us your strength, Holy Spirit. Leave here with us because we love you. You are a great, awesome, sovereign God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Take your hands.